Howdy folks, welcome to Camera Shake, where we bring you the insider scoop on all things photography and videography, giving you a unique opportunity to stay ahead of the curve. We've spent literally hundreds of hours interviewing some of the most renowned photographers of our time, giving you access to knowledge and expertise that's not available anywhere else. As always, I'm your host, Kirsten Nuts, and in today's episode, we're going to deep dive into retouching iPhone photography and how to create mind-blowing Hollywood movie posters with the best in the business. So buckle up, grab a cold one, let's shake it up with today's guest right after this. Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 146. But hang on, wait a minute. Before we get into today's episode, I have one small favor to ask of you. We will be sharing some incredible, amazing news very soon. So if you enjoy this podcast, please join the Camera Shake community over on camerashakepodcast.com so that you're the first ones to know. You'll find the link in the description, or if you're watching on YouTube, it'll be right down here somewhere on the screen. But without further ado, let's give it up for today's special guest, the retoucher, photographer, educator, iPhone aficionado, and the person who told me everything I know about skin retouching. Give it up for the one and only Lisa Carney. Lisa, how are you? Howdy. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's fantastic. Everything you, you know, really? Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Oh, that makes me happy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, frequency separation, one of the you know greatest yep. classes on creative life, 100%. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. The thing about frequency separation is like for me, it was so hard. And I thought, how can I talk about this like a normal human? Yes. Do you know what I mean? Not like frequency, algorithm, blah, blah, blah. Ugh. And no. it's it's the name itself, you know, the term frequency separation. It's like immediately, it's like, what the hell is that? You know, exactly right. Yeah. So it is. Um, yeah. And I remember, you know, I used to, so I used to retouch skin completely differently um, before that. Mm -hmm. And um, and then I sort of heard about frequency separation and, you know, like everyone else, I watched a few YouTube videos and that sort of thing. And, uh, you mm -hmm. know, I came across a method that was actually super simple. And it was basically sort of an action. And, you know, you just select basically your whole skin, press two buttons and it was done. And it sort of, right. it worked to a degree, but once, yeah. you know, once I then, uh, I watched your class, I all of a sudden realized where the power really lies, which is the power, mm -hmm. you know, of actually being selective, you know, with mm -hmm. how far you go in different parts of the face and, you know, and it's, it's just really, it's opened up a whole world when it comes to um, the frequency, oh, when it comes to skin retouching for me. Well, that's awesome. And I'll tell you, I used it on every single job I have for everything and not just skin. Like I use it for everything. I think yes. it's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, interesting enough, you know, during the pandemic, so I'm a portrait photographer, really, and a headshot photographer. Mm -hmm. So, but during the pandemic, of course, over here in the UK, we had really strict um, limitations, as in like we had massive lockdowns and, you know, uh, photographing other humans was sort of frowned upon at the time, you know, obviously, yeah. or, or outright illegal, actually. So, um, yes. You know, so I had to resort to photographing products, you know, two point, because mm -hmm. what are you going to do? And so people just sent yeah. me stuff and I'd photograph it and send it back. Um, but that's really where I learned the value of frequency separation when yeah. it comes to products as well. And it was just, yeah. again, an eye opener. Yeah, it's really great. Uh, well, that really makes me happy to hear and that it worked because you never know. You put stuff out there in the universe and you never know. Yeah. Do people understand it? Do they like it? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, I remember, um, you know, at first, of course, it was completely over my head, but it's the way you explained it um, on that in that class was just it just made so much sense, and also it was really progressive. So you know mm. it was like 
as I got into it, I'm like, oh, okay, this makes perfect sense now, you know? Duh. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and it's just, you know, it's just, yeah, I don't know. It just increased my power when it comes to retouching, which is That's always great. useful. That's great. Yeah, it was life-changing for me. It was single-handedly the, the largest editing change since Photoshop came out with layers, frankly, if you ask me. Yeah, it was yeah, that uh, revolutionary. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, so talk about Photoshop. Do you think, you know, with all the AI developments and stuff and the things that are happening, even, even as part of Photoshop, um, mm -hmm. Now, do you think that's another sort of groundbreaking change uh, when it comes to just Photoshop, but also retouching in general? Yeah, yes and no. So it depends on what level you play. I think for your your average consumer and someone who's maybe at a, I don't want to sound snobby, but at a base level, 100%. The thing is for, for pro level work and the type of work you have to do, I do, you have to be able to go backwards or change it. And when you rely too much on AI, what happens is your chops get really crappy. And then you get a job where someone's turned profile or something else and the AI will, AI won't do it. How do you fix it? Do, do you understand what I'm saying? So yeah, I think absolutely. the AI is, while it's interesting and cool, it's also a little dangerous. It's definitely, I, I think, think, I think it's very useful um, for, from a portrait photography point of view, especially when you're doing like commercial things like you know, headshots, for example, and you yeah. have like a, you know, a huge turnaround. In, in not a lot yes. of time. Yes. At that point, it's super helpful because it just cut your. Hundred percent. You know, it just cut your 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 work in half. Well, you know, absolutely. Even but I totally agree with you. When you're doing anything that's more intricate, um, then then as you said, you haven't got the option to dive into certain specific details yeah. of it or roll it back or yeah. you know, and that's yeah. where it becomes tricky. And it also, I think, becomes tricky in terms of practice. So, so hear me out. So yeah, I get, I get you on volume stuff. Oh my God, hundred percent. But then what happens when you lose your practice for it? Because you haven't done it. And then you get some jobs where you have to do it and the clock is ticking and the clients want their stuff, but you don't remember how to do it. You've lost that. You know what I mean? That, that yeah. your chops. I have no other word for it other than chops. And, oh, what do you do then? So it's, it's a, it's a slippery slope. That's yeah. all. Yeah, absolutely. Cause I find that, you know, when, um, when I when I spend a lot of time doing other things other than headshots, and then I come back to it, it's I, it just take me a minute or two, you know, to just yeah. to just get back into it. And especially yeah. when I do things that um, you know I just have to do on one particular job, and I don't usually use that particular mm. technique or something. Then you know, you know, when six months later I have to do a similar thing, I really have to go back and say, oh, how did I do yeah. that? Like, how Ooh. did that work? How do I fix that? Yeah, yeah exactly. But you have you have retouched some of the most famous and most well-known movie posters there are in the industry um you know i mean everything from you know from csi how to train your dragon my daughter's oh big so much favorite. fun working on that yeah. so much fun and uh, and the boys i mean my, my wife and i are totally addicted to the boys so that's a fantastic poster um you know everything from like, campaign yeah yeah and uh, your honor what an image that's oh, I have to say, I was really, that's a, a the Your Honor series. There's actually two in that series. Yeah. And I was so thrilled that Showtime came to me because that was one of the few times in, in kind of modern recollection where it was such a challenging job because those were full daylight shots. Right. Full daylight, especially as a profile one where he's in shadow. And it was shot with blown out, you know, it was a unit shot basically. Uh, meaning they shot it on set. And I was like, oh, I actually get to work for this one. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it was a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Which I really, really appreciated doing. I, think, I mean, the results are amazing. You know? Oh, thank you. It's one of those thank images you. that really sticks out immediately. I mean, here, over here in the UK, it's on Paramount. 
and I guess it's on mm-hmm. Showtime yeah. already. Yes, yeah, and uh, as soon as it comes up, like the, the shop comes up, and everybody notices it. Like everybody's noticing it. Um, like even my my seventeen year old, actually no, nineteen. Oops, nineteen year old daughter. No. They get they get <laughs> fast. Yes. I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, even she she was talking about it. You know, it's it's just it's just such a striking black and white yeah. shot. Yeah, the creative director and the photographer did a really great job. I have to say, the thing is, but especially I think the one you're referring to is a straight-on angle one. Yeah. It's you don't you have no clue. Folks don't have any clue what goes into that. That beard has probably twenty layers of hair painted over it. <laughs> it's been redone. It's uh-huh. amazing, and and the yeah. hair, the hair is completely redone. No one would know. Hopefully, yeah. if I do my job right, they don't know. Yeah, but that, so that's that's, that's, the, that's the key, isn't it? I mean, the better yeah. you do your work, the less anybody notices. Hundred percent. That's totally accurate. Yeah, that's incredible. So, yeah, I've been I've been really lucky in my career to get to work on some pretty amazing and fun projects. Yeah, absolutely. Now we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about um, about your your poster work or your retouching work. But uh, I think let's let's uh, let's start with something that I didn't really know until recently that that you were into, which is iPhone photography. It's my love. It is my hundred percent passion. Is the thing I'm most excited about that I do every day. Yeah, and I think you've just you've just you've just come back from WPPI. Yeah, yeah, we had a really great session. So WPPI, which is Wedding Portrait Professional International, it's a huge, huge photo conference. And what I love about talking at WPPI is it's all large sensor camera shooter people. And man, they come in that room like, mm-hmm, you show me something. Right. And I get it. I totally get it. And I think by the time they leave, they're like, oh, wow, wait a minute. This is amazing. And I'll tell you something. Um, I'm old enough, not that you could tell, that I was around when digital first came along. So I was, um, I my degrees in photography, I was a format shooter, four by five. I shot a lot of Polaroid, uh, 55 Polaroid. But I handlined my own film, color film, black and white film, and did my own printing, black and white color. And digital was just starting to come out and Photoshop was just coming out. And everyone was like, oh no, this is crap. This isn't This isn't going to take over. Everyone's wrong. And obviously it did take over. It, it became the new world. And honest to Buddha, I'm telling you, I've got the same sensation about mobile photography, smartphone photography. I don't like calling it smartphone photography. I call it mobile yeah. And I've got the exact same spidey sense. Like this is really going to revolutionize our work, our professional workflow. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, I think it's yeah. it's it's huge, you know. Um, and I'll even... tell you, I have my my camera is different than my phone. I have a phone. I have another device that's my phone. To me, this is my camera. I do, it doesn't have a SIM card. I don't call my mama on it. Right. I don't send texts from it. This is my camera. So. Right. So you literally <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that's cool. So you literally have an iPhone that's that's dedicated to photography. 100%. Yeah. And I have that for a couple of reasons. Uh the main reason is um I'm clumsy. I drop. I drop things. I just do. And so I don't want to yeah. drop or scratch that. Uh the other reason is I like to keep that very streamlined. I only have the apps I need on it, nothing else. I don't bog it down with anything. It's really streamlined. When it comes to iPhone photography, especially with the iPhone 14, I think it's just made it's just made such a leap forward, you know. Again, um, Huge. you know, as far as the lenses are concerned, I don't know if you, like I remember a few generations ago, I used to have like different um, what they called moment lenses that I used yeah, to use yeah. for those. Yeah, I will tell you, I still use the Moment Macro 
Right. The fall off, the focal fall off on that is so stunning. And it's so much better than the iPhone for me also. So I used a moment macro still. Plus it's got that beautiful diffusion ring on it. Oh, the moment macro lens is a, it's a thick beauty. Um, and occasionally I'll use the wide because their wide angle lens is so beautiful. It's um, warm. It's just gorgeous. So those two lenses I still use. So the wide angle lens on the on the iPhone, um, I I often think that it comes in really handy. I I very often switch to that when I just don't have the opportunity to, you know, to put in like a fourteen to twenty four on you yeah. know on my camera body sort of thing. Yeah. And I find that really very practical. And actually, the images are awesome. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think people get uh, with the iPhone uh, in particular. I don't know about Google phones or uh, Android phones. They, I I feel like photographers don't pay attention to the focal length of the camera phone. So I don't think most people realize, but the, the telephoto, the three, that's like a 77 millimeter lens. And the one, I hate the names. I wish they'd name them uh, focal length, but whatever. I'm not ruling the universe yet. <laughs> um, the I believe the one is something like a 24 or 28. So if you're shooting portraits, you don't want to shoot it on a one on an iPhone. You want to shoot it on on the three, two or three. Because yeah. people get distorted faces. Exactly. So um, I I started a portrait series a couple of years ago that I called Three Heads in a Row, which is... Um, yes, I think I saw your Dave Williams one. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so um, the idea there is, I mean, that's shot at around 24 mil, I guess, 20, mm -hmm. 24 to 28 mil, roughly. And the idea there is is that I I want the distortion because yes. because I want it to look hyper real and, and slightly cartoonish, you know, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Theatrical, yeah. Theatrical, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to look like a caricature of, of the subject, you know, of the right. of the person. And so there, that focal length comes in super handy. And it's yeah. you know, it's one of these things um, in portrait photography. Obviously, you know, we I mean, we often say like, okay, you don't want to shoot any at least anywhere below fifty or something like that. You know, um, eighty five, a hundred, whatever. Yeah. You know, in that sort of region. Um, but, but sometimes these wide focal focal lens actually come in really handy. A hundred percent. And I guess what I was trying to refer to, because I, I agree a hundred percent with you. It's actually, I find people when they're shooting with uh, mobile photography, they're not quite as mindful about that. They're not thinking about it. So That's very true. because, you know, it's in your pocket, you pull it out. Oh, I'm going to shoot you. And I'm always encouraging folks, well, take a second. Do you want the wide? Do you want it distorted or do you want it? And with the phone, I think folks don't think about it the way you would when you have your SL DSLR or your, your pack. You're actually choosing your lens. You're more conscious of yeah. your choices. That's right. And that's, that's one of the things I think, um, you know, sometimes when I, you know, when, when I, when I take a camera body with me, um, it, because it slows me down a little bit, I actually quite like that because it makes me think, you know, but I've, yes. I've sort of come around to mobile photography. You know, over the last, I say, I say over the six, the last six months or something, I use it a lot more uh, for anything other than just family snapshots. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, but also, I mean, video is that's another huge thing for me um, because I do a lot of video mm. stuff, and yeah, the the quality that you can achieve with an iPhone nowadays is is really stunning. Yeah, for the amount of effort you have to put into it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is amazing. The, well, you've got the immediacy of it because it's it's available. You're not it, you're not um carrying a bunch of stuff. It's lighter so you can access it faster. Um also 
I find, I don't know if you're finding this with your subjects. I mean, it's so ubiquitous to have smartphones that folks don't react the same way when a smartphone's in their face versus a camera lens. And so I'm able, I find, to be honest, get a more natural and comfortable subject matter than when I have a big, big camera in someone's face. Of course. I mean, it's 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 one of these things, you know, um, we're so used to seeing mobile phones or, you know, or cell phones yeah. um, and, you know, we've been, We've grown so accustomed to that that it's just a normal thing you know um but having somebody stick like a massive lens in your face with a on a big camera yeah. yeah not very many people are very used to that and i you know i find yeah. that uh, you know of course when i do the the three ads in a row thing um you know i, I need to coax these extreme expressions out of, yeah. out of the subject and, yeah. and so i need to spend some time beforehand building up trust and i've spoken about this on this podcast many times but, but basically the idea is that um you know i spend time i build up the trust so I can get them to the point where they trust me enough so that I can get them to give me these extreme expressions. You know, not a problem yeah. with Dave Williams because he's naturally goofy, obviously. He is goofy, yes. <laughs> he can't help it. Well, I'll tell you, I have a, I'm sorry, I can't show it to you here. I have a little Canva trigger. And so I have, I often hold my phone, like somewhere even chest level down here. And I'm just talking and I'm triggering the whole time. Great. Because I often shoot folks who are really uncomfortable. They're not they're not used to being photographed. They don't like the idea of being photographed, all sorts of things. And I'm triggering just oh, I'm talking, we're talking. Yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah, exactly. I mean it's so um inconspicuous, you know. Yes. I even um so you know, one one thing I was thinking about um recently is I sort of have a love for street photography. And yeah. in street photography, of course, it's a problem having a huge camera, you know, because yeah. people are immediately a lot more conscious of what you're doing. And then the whole idea of creating candid photography kind of goes out of the window because you're there with a huge lens and, you know. Yeah, they, and, they see you. Yeah. You know, and uh, and so the alternative is always to yeah, shoot with something like a Fuji X100, you know, something like that, or like a smaller camera or Leica, if, you know, if that's, if you're a dentist, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But, but the mobile, like the mobile phone, really comes in really handy for that. I think. Yeah, I'll tell you when I first started shooting, I was living in Florence, Italy, and I was working at a lab, and I'd ride across the the bridges, the ponte, and I had a rangefinder, and I would just do the focus, and it literally hung around my neck, and I would just be shooting people, and they had no idea I was even shooting. But I had to get really good at the focus because you do the focus with the dials on the top. Um, but it, it was great. It was a great way to be candid. Yeah, and I mean, you you know. I've, I had a look at your website and um, your portfolios look stunning. I mean, your landscape photography, this is another thing. Like your landscape photography is so stunning, especially um, I love the black and white shots. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have to say I'm a black and white shooter. I really am Yeah. from long back, from film days. And it's it's I'm hard pressed to do color, to be honest. I, I see the world a little differently. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's this thing, you know, I always... I. I I also have sort of a tendency to go for the black and white type of yeah. look. Um, and I've, I've sort of somehow had this mental barrier when it comes to landscape photography because I'm yeah. not much of a landscape photographer anyhow. But uh, I always, you know, I kind of thought about how can I make this work in black and white other than the Ansel, you know, the Ansel Adams sort of school yeah. of, of thought. Yeah. But um, I was looking at your shots and I was thinking like, yeah, that's completely, you know, this little light bulb that went on in the back of my mind. I'm like, yeah, this is extremely cool. So oh, you're really sweet. Thank you. I'll tell you, I had a, I have a class I taught. I don't know if it's still out there where I was teaching the zone system, you know, Ansel Adams zone system yeah. for mobile photography. 
I was Fantastic. like, we're doing mobile and we can still talk about the zone system. We can do black and white photography mobile, but still think of, you know, traditional techniques and, and tone and contrast and whatnot. So when you shoot, do you, do you already think like a retoucher or, or does that not enter into it when you're, you know, when you're taking the shot? Yeah. Okay. So I, I'm a little embarrassed by this. I'm not sure why I'm embarrassed by this, but um, I am a retoucher. I'm a heavy editor. And if anyone looked at my uh, photography, it's heavily edited. I am not a straight out of the camera. So I have to be super honest. I take a shot. I process it right then and there, full process on my phone. I'm a heavy Lightroom user, Lightroom mobile user. And then once I know what I, what I think I want, then I go shoot. So I'll shoot a frame or two. That's it. Do all my processing and then continue to shoot. Because I have it in my head, then what I want to do. Yeah, because it's. I wondered about this because because actually, um, again, you and me are very similar in that sense. Um, I I always I shoot for the edit because I already know how I'm going to process it yeah. afterwards. Um, so I know what I need in order to get you know to get this done in in post processing. So yes, you know. So I'm also not like not not an old school um, sort of shooter. You know, who thinks everything has to be yeah. perfect in, in camera. There's um there's a, a sort of a comparison I always use when I, you know, when I talk at like camera clubs and stuff. Um, because very often in things like camera clubs, you know, the audience is usually a little bit older and you have that yep. school of thought of, you know, um, people who are of the opinion that you should get it right in camera. And yeah, I always, the way I compare it usually is I usually say, you know, it's, it's a little bit like an electric guitar and an amplifier. Like the electric guitar without an amplifier is very quiet and makes hardly any sound. And it certainly doesn't yeah. sound like what we would consider to be the sound of an electric yeah. guitar. An amplifier yeah. on its own is just a dead box. It's inanimate. Yeah. It doesn't make any sound. But you yeah. plug one into the other and you use them both in conjunction with each other. All of a sudden you get these beautiful sounds and beautiful music. Yeah. You know? I, I was going to say something though. I'm going to call a little bit of bullshit on the old school notion of getting it right in camera. Because here's the thing, Ansel Adams, you ever see his darkroom markups? Oh, yes. Right? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. no kidding. Cartier-Bresson, same thing. Like, old school shooters. And sure, they caught the subject, but the 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 flowering of the subject is all done in the darkroom. We've just switched the darkroom from a dark room to this. This is now the darkroom also. Yes, exactly, exactly. I've been to yeah. Ansel Adams' studio. <laughs> I've seen it. My mama met him, which is so exciting. Oh, wow. Yes. But right. But people don't think about that dodging and burning in a dark room. Why is that any less different than the manipulation we do in our editing? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly and it. And the magic of this is key magic because I shoot, I live up uh, near Lake Tahoe. And so I'm out, out in nature in the forest and I'm out there on a paddleboard and I just sit down and I do a full edit while I'm shooting, realize, oh, I need to paddle over a little more and move the light, move to have the light a little different, or I need to change my exposure, you know, expose more for the highlights, whatever. And I'm still on the board. Do you know what I mean? I don't have to wait until I get home to the studio or something. I can figure it out all while I'm right there so that I don't miss the shot. So take us through your, um, through your retouching or your post-processing uh, process on, on your mobile device. How, okay. What does that look so like? what I currently do, I used to shoot through, um, so Lightroom, I use Lightroom Mobile a ton and Lightroom Mobile has five cameras on it within the app. Most people don't know that it's got five cameras. I used to shoot through Lightroom because the algorithm was so much better than the native iPhone. 
camera. Right. Now the native iPhone camera is so much better. I no longer have to do that. So I generally shoot through a iPhone capture on the app. I bring it right into Lightroom. And then I do whatever editing I think I need to do. The masking in Lightroom Mobile is extraordinary. So I relight things all the time in the camera. Like I did a, a, um, a catalog shoot not that long ago and low budget. Oh my God. There was like no money. Client was standing next to me and she's like, oh, I want it a little darker and to have a spot behind it. And can we make it blue? Can we put a gel on that? And I was like, absolutely. I stood there with my phone and did all that with masking in Lightroom Mobile. And I said something like this. She had an iPad that synced to my Lightroom so she could see it larger. Yeah. And she was like, oh, okay, great. Yeah, that's good. We shot the whole job. I command pasted the, the settings and pasted it to all of them. And it just... And it repopulated all of them. Blue gel, glow behind the subject, all sorts of stuff. I didn't have to put a gel on it. I didn't have to relight it. We just kept going. Yeah. So do you, cool, do you literally, right? um, do you retouch everything on your phone or do you put it on an iPad or do you use uh, Lightroom Classic? Great question. Um, I have to tell you, I'm a, I do it all on the phone. I understand some people like the iPad because there's more real estate visual real estate and they can see more. I do it all on the phone. And then on my large desktop, I'll do any final editing that I need to do because with Lightroom, it's a seamless sync. Yeah. Do you switch back and forth between Lightroom and Photoshop a lot? No, no, I don't. So, you know, it's interesting. I can't believe I'm going to admit this. Um, in my photography, it's all Lightroom. It's a rare, rare, rare day that I go to Photoshop. I mean, like hardly ever. With my professional work, with my movie poster work, because... I'm sure your viewers know this ACR, which is Adobe camera raw is Lightroom. It's the same thing. Yes. Yeah, same engine. Lightroom classic Lightroom, or it's camera raw in Photoshop. So anymore, I'm doing 70% of 70% of my retouching and color work in camera raw and then yeah. opening it in Photoshop and finishing it up. See, isn't I, that crazy? I know it's incredible. And, uh, and, and again, I pretty much do exactly the same thing. I just use Lightroom. Um, so I use the engine, yeah. you know, in Lightroom yeah. and then as a flip, a flip flop back and forth between, you know, Photoshop and Lightroom. Well, I'll say it's no different than what I do. I just happen to be using camera raw. It's, it's the same. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it. Like once you figure out that ACR or Adobe camera raw is Lightroom mobile and is Lightroom classic, you're fluid and you're not tied to one or the other. You're, you're free to do what works for you. Yeah. So how does the um how does the Lightroom mobile version compare to the classic version? Do you know like are there is, are there any functions that you don't have in the mobile version compared to classic? Yeah, absolutely. And I have to be hundred percent clear. I do not touch Lightroom Classic. The the in sorry that's snow falling in my house. I don't know if you can hear it, but <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> there's a snow cascade happening right now. Um, so Lightroom Classic is effectively the same engine as Lightroom. Only there are a few things you can do in classic that you can't do in Lightroom. I do not use classic, but there's things like brushes in Lightroom classic that they don't have in Lightroom mobile. And I mean like effects brushes. Right. And printing modules, they don't have printing modules, but effectively they're pretty much the same thing. And if you prefer classic, you can still work out on location with mobile, come back to the studio and sync it to classic. I tell you what, my one gripe, and I love Lightroom, um, really to bits but for one gripe that i have with it is the tethering the tethering on it is yeah. awful oh yeah. my god I know. 
I know. It's slower yeah. molasses. Uh, Lord willing and the creek don't rise. They'll fix that eventually. Yeah. But I have to say, I still prefer Lightroom to uh, Capture One. So I recently, very, very recently, um, got the, the free test version of Capture One. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just simply because, well, first of all, when um, when Mac update uh, upgraded to the latest operating system, um, all of a sudden Lightroom lost all ability to tether to Nikon cameras. So that was the first thing. It was like, okay, well, that sucks because now I have a problem because you know I have clients. Yeah. So, um, so I found this idiotic workaround which went through like Nikon's um, native capture software, and then it like. I connected it to Lightroom and Lightroom was dragging the files. I was the yeah. capture folder and it just, I mean, it was like, you were just literally sitting there, you know, counting your chickens whilst that, that image exactly. would, yeah. creeps yeah. through the cable into, oh man, it took off the yeah. forever. So it got to the point where, you know, and then it would cut off frequently and then it wouldn't connect to the camera again and all that kind of stuff. So I, I finally gave in and I tried to capture one. And I have to say from a connection point of view, um, capture one beats Lightroom, hundred percent, hands down, and the speed yeah. at which it, it captures is phenomenal in comparison. You know, yes. Um, however, though, I have to say that from a from a from an editing point of view, I then load all the images back into Lightroom afterwards in order to do all the post process yep. processing. Yeah. You know, and mainly because in my workflow, you know, it just for me it just makes more sense. It's more comfortable because I flip flop yeah. back and forth to Photoshop, yeah. and it's it's so easy. You know. Yeah. So I'll tell you on a professional work environment level. I mean, obviously you need to use whatever technology works best for you. And 90% of photographers, celebrity shooters, they're using Capture One, hands down. Where it gets challenging on a professional level is, okay, who's getting this file now? Where is this file? Are you, is it all you? You're doing the retouching. It's in-house. Great. Oh, do you have to send it to a studio? So when you send it to a studio, like a movie studio or entertainment art agency, who then sends it to someone like me, the, um, do I have Capture One? Do I own Capture One? Retouchers do not own Capture One. Yes. I own Capture One because I shoot. I'm a, I'm the odd bird. The folks at, um, you know, the studio, do they have it? Did their photo department have it? Did their photo department know how to use it? But I sure as shit can tell you they know Photoshop because every agency and everybody's using Photoshop. So there's a languaging issue. And then you get that right. envelope delivery. So Capture One, you can either deliver a sidecar, the COS files, or an envelope, an EIS file or ESP file. I'm sorry, I can't remember the acronym. Well, studios or entertainment ad agencies or retouchers get it and they're like, well, where's the sidecar? Because they get separated. People don't deliver and yeah. it's a nightmare. So it really depends on your workflow and who your clients are. So from an ease of workflow point of view, I really yeah. Lightroom Mobile makes perfect sense then because you yeah. can you shoot a mobile you process it right there on the phone, done. Yeah, and then you get to the studio, and it's it's on your desktop. Plus, um, you can so imagine. Picture this. I'll give you a, a little round out about how a, a, a typical client shoot goes, let alone a personal shoot. But let's say I'm doing a client direct shoot here in Lake Tahoe area. I've already figured out my preset. So I already figured out what color I'm looking for. I've got my the vibe I'm looking for. Often I get hired because someone will say, "Oh, I saw your." XYZ photo, and I'm looking for something that has that feel. Great. So I've got my presets already loaded. If it's client direct and there's messaging, uh, logo or literally messaging happening, you know, Instagram, social posts, 
I have their logo loaded up on my device, either black or white, because in Lightroom, you can actually export with logos in position. Do this all the time. So imagine I have a, a paddleboard client and we're out on Donner Lake shooting or Lake Tahoe. I put the logo in and export it right there so I can see, oh crap, I need to move over an inch and a half or have the model move so the logo will fit. Right. I don't get yeah. back to the studio and go, oh crap, I'm going to have to extend the water because I didn't have it in the right position. Plus there's some amazing, amazing third-party apps that will add lighting effects and text effects. So imagine I have a healthcare professional up here. I did their studio and, and for their email, they wanted a, a an image afterwards that said for the email, like if someone signed up on their website, they'd get an immediate email with another image that had a great picture of this guy. And it said, thank you for choosing us for our healthcare needs, your, your healthcare needs or something like that. Or no, I'm sorry. It was, thank you for trusting us with your health. That's what it was. And I did it on the phone, the whole edit with him. And I showed it to him and I go, honey, is this what you're looking for? He's like, oh my God, that's great. I sent it to, they sent it out that day. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't have to go back to my studio and send him five different emails and like choices. It was like, oh, right here. Are you happy? On my phone. That's, that's as much of a breakthrough as I think, you know, when that, that change from analog to digital happened. And all of a sudden, because I remember, you know, I remember talking to uh, Moose Peterson a while ago and he told me uh, when he, uh, when he first shot his first um, magazine project or whatever on the digital, he basically he managed to send the files off straight away to the editor and they literally got it within an hour of him shooting the images yeah. and the, the kind of furore yeah. that that caused at the time, you know. I mean, can you imagine you've got your preset in there? You've got your toning. Heck, fire, you can do retouching. Um, there's ways to do even beauty retouching in Lightroom on your phone. It's not that hard. Um and again, messaging. So imagine how much you can upsell your services. Like Absolutely. it's not just, oh, I'm the shooter. It's And it's hard. The photo market's hard right now. So can you imagine, oh, let me do your social campaign for the whole month. Shit, let me do it for the whole year. And you've got it all right there. And I'll tell you something, honey, I suck at type. I, Jesus, Mary, I suck at it. And these apps have preloaded layouts. Like the type's all there. And then you could do tracking and wait. Oh, it's amazing. So what are your favorite third-party apps on the iPhone? My um, So uh, again, I'm an iPhone user, so I want to be really clear because uh, some of these don't work with Google or Android. So Mexers is my all-time favorite layering texture app for arty looking stuff. It's slow as molasses and it's beautiful. So for me, it's 100% worth it, the, the time. Um, Lens Distortions, stupid name, stupid name, great app. Those are my two favorite and they both work in Photoshop as well. So if you have to do something, uh, reproduce something higher res, you can. And lens distortion is amazing. Lens effects. If anyone goes on, on my website or my Instagram, they see I do a lot of snow shots. I shoot out here. You can't capture snow with the iPhone. Yeah. You cannot. It won't show. Lens distortion has weather effects you can put in. Oh, great. So I can actually make a piece feel like it felt when I'm standing there even though it didn't look like it in the raw capture. And again, lens distortion has amazing type layouts you can use. And of course, yeah, anybody listening or watching this on YouTube, uh, we will have links to those apps in the description below. No problemo. Fantastic. Again, Mexters is slow. I'm going to, I want to say that five times. It's slow as molasses, but it's worth it. So stick with it. Let's talk a little bit about your, your Hollywood movie poster. Um, 
or your history within within that particular business because it's one of these you know it's it's a part of the industry that I think for the vast majority of people is probably the least understood part of the yeah. industry because you know as photographers yeah. I mean, we look at you know, movie posters we understand the the photography in it but when it comes to the the retouching and all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes and um, that's yeah. almost like you know that's, that's sort of a part of the industry that I think most people are not not familiar with and I know um, I've heard you describe yourself as a finisher rather yeah. than a designer. Exactly just, right. Yeah, just explain a little bit. Yeah, that, let me talk to you about. So, and I'll tell you a few little dirty secrets about our our industry. So, what happens is we get A list photographers shooting the movie posters. A list, you know, big photographers get hired to shoot it, but you know they get asked for somebody on a gray seamless. All the magic is done in Photoshop because we need that kind of flexibility. So when you look at a movie poster, you're like, wow, look at that. Isn't it amazing? That's all done in Photoshop. We get a straight capture generally from 90% of the photographers that we do. Um, design versus finish. So for a movie, Heckfire, Spider-Man, what did they do? Like 3,000 designs? And wow. then they pick five to, to finish. So as a designer, designing's hard. That's where all the heavy lifting happens, I think. It's really hard. It hardly pays. Right. And you put your love and life into something. Oh, and then someone says, ah, it's crap. We don't want it. Or they pick the ugliest one. They'll pick the safest one. Movie companies are very known for safe imagery. They're not brave because a lot of money on the table. Right? So a finisher, it will come to me and we start from a very low res file that's sort of worked out. And then I reproduce it super high res and as perfect as possible. So my files are often 20 to 50 gigs. Right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Huge. So finishers make more money. So that's the other perk. Say the truth. And there's not many of us. What's the delivery like? Like what's, what sort of uh, file types do you, do you receive? Do you get different layers of different elements? Oh I mean, yeah. With yeah. a brief or how and, it... Yeah. So always I get a layered file, uh, to replicate, uh, replicate, but oftentimes either the designers are self-taught or it's gone through multiple, multiple hands. So they're a mess. You get color correction with retouching on top of that with something else on top of that. And I have to deconstruct it and start over. Um, my deliverable is really interesting since COVID and since streaming really, really took off, 80% of my deliverables are for digital only. They're not oh, even going right. to print. Isn't that interesting? 80%. I mean, we still do the big posters, but um, yeah. And the files are stupid huge, but that's okay. Yeah, I guess I mean that's that's really one uh, something that's that's obviously exploded since COVID is the you know streaming different streaming platforms um, yeah. and the uh, and I've I've really noticed the amount of effort that's going into you know into thumbnails and like and the art behind it whenever yeah. a new show comes up you know it's um, yeah. and Joanna is a really good example for that actually you yeah know, all the yeah. boys or something it's a lot I thought streaming was going to kill my business you know oh we're going to streaming no more posters and it's the exact opposite it's taken off. There must be a business model in designing YouTube thumbnails <laughs> somewhere. Yes. Oh, I'm certain, of, I'm certain of it. And the beautiful thing is, it, is if you're into it, if you're good, like I'm good at Photoshop, read Photoshop. So I'm super fast because, um, well, one, I've been doing it for 110 years, but my brain really understands it. And if there's folks who have that kind of inclination, like they just, they dig it, they know, they understand thumbnails, they like doing it, Heckfire would be great business to produce. Because I know a lot of people who have YouTube channels 
and Jesus, they don't know how to make a, an end card. We call those end cards, you know, thumbnails, end cards, letter boxes. We call it things like that. Great business to get into. So how did you get, first get started in, in that line of business? So a long, long time ago, I graduated from Art Center College of Design over the degree in photography. And I, I was a portrait shooter, editorial portrait shooter. And that business was all in New York. And I was living in LA and I didn't want to move to New York. And I owed like $100,000 for my degree. Wow. <laughs> and at the time, there were about 150,000 photographers in LA alone. And I knew I was in trouble. And I was really good at Photoshop. Photoshop just started coming out. It had no layers back then. And I'll tell you, there was a movie poster company called Metaphor Imaging, and it was right next door to the camera shop I worked at. I was working at camera shops so I could get free rentals. And I kept walking by and I was like, God, I would love to do that. And back in those days, because Photoshop was just starting out, they used proprietary hardware. So it was a Shima Seiki machine, like the machine cost a million dollars. The operators made $450,000 a year, and there were probably only 20 in the whole country. And I thought, I want to do that. So I started um, asking how I could get into that to do that kind of work. And they let me in. And then all of a sudden the Mac Quadra came out. This is how I'm dating myself so badly. And that changed the game because the computer got so fast. People were all of a sudden like, oh, wait a minute. We don't have to use this million dollar machine. We could use these smaller boxes. And I was in the right spot at the right time. How did you first get into um, like designing um, movie posters for like big Hollywood productions. Well, that's uh, that company metaphor. They were the probably oh, right. one of the okay. top three shops in Los Angeles. And uh, I just walked into the number, you know, one, two or three. They'd say they were number one, number one shot in L.A. And then I just started as a junior artist there. And then um, I got better and better. And the design was fun. So I would see these designers coming in. Back then they would do designing with Xeroxes, if you can imagine, and cut and paste. And then they were starting to use Photoshop. And it just kind of became a natural progression to move from a finishing only house to an entertainment design agency where they do everything. So has the, has the industry in that respect, has it changed completely? I mean, I can imagine that, you know, from a time where you needed like, you know, a million dollar computer to, to now, I, I bet that whole industry looks completely different now. Yeah, fishing houses don't exist anymore. They, they, the whole industry of just doing a finish, they're gone. They're now in-house, either at entertainment ad agencies or it's people like me who have our own little tiny company and we work. However, I got to tell you, the interesting thing is what hasn't changed is the design industry, the entertainment design industry. It's all the same people. They just switch tools. Right. Does that make sense? So like yeah, the, yeah, the, the old school people are still the same ones doing it. They're just not using cut and paste and glue. They're using computers. That's all. Yeah, because I, I guess, same I people. mean, yeah, because the skill set is still the same, you know, regardless it is. of it is what the tool is. It is yeah. skill set. Yeah. So what, what sort of degree of freedom do you have when, uh, let's say, you know, you, you get to finish um, a, a particular movie poster. So how much freedom do you have in that to change things or do you have a very tight brief how does that work it's really that's a great question and it depends on who you're doing it for so if you're doing film festival stuff you have a lot of freedom because there's not so many people involved if you're doing major motion picture you have zero freedom to do anything there are so many people have signed off on that 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 is it um television and streaming in fact i'll tell you something interesting about 20 years 20 years ago i switched from doing major motion picture finishing to uh television this was before streaming 
And everyone's like, what are you doing that for? Don't you want to work on the big pictures? And it was like, no, the big pictures are terrible. If if someone's arm is the wrong size and their ears are all tweaked wrong, you have to leave it because so many people signed off on that. Don't you dare fix it. Right. And with that's television, they were like, no, make it look as good as you can. I know that sounds crackers, but that's just the way it, it ended up working. And then streaming came along and it changed to the whole flow. So depends on who you're working for. When I'm working directly with a studio, like if I'm doing work with Paramount and Showtime, I feel like I have more flexibility to actually provide a better service and offer suggestions and change because I'm talking directly to the person buying the product. If I'm working for an entertainment ad agency, there are so many people ahead of me in the food chain and people are afraid to say, hey, can we make their head bigger? Oh, can we fix her lip? No one wants to say anything. So I don't have as much um, liberty. Is that, um, does that go back to the actual, let's say, star of the show? Like the individual oh, yeah. actor, for example? Yeah, okay. Hell yeah. There are some actors who never see a photo shoot that haven't been retouched. Right. The, even the selects, to make the selects, everything gets touched. And I wonder, what did they think of when they go look in the mirror? Are they like, is that mirror lying? Because all they ever see is this beautiful stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to, well, it's interesting to realize, you know, how many, um, how many layers there are between, you know, between the concept and then the, the final product and also how many, you know, how many minds you have to satisfy it in that process. You know, I guess yeah. it goes from like, you know, the, the original talent through to, I guess, the director, um, the, the ad agency producers, people, lawyers, maybe even. Oh, hell yeah. So I'll tell you, it's so interesting. It's one of the skill sets I have is you can take any one of my posters and go all the way down to the raw photo, all the way down. And you have to, because I am not the end decider. Right. I have my opinion. The art director has an opinion. The creative director has an opinion. The account executive has an opinion. Their liaison at the movie studio has an opinion. The marketing manager or VP of marketing for the movie company has their opinion. The actor has an opinion. The actor's publicist has an opinion. Can you imagine? Yeah. it's What happens yeah. if, if people have opposing opinions? Do you, just, do you just leave them to battle it out and then... <laughs> Uh, whoever's higher on the food chain wins. Right. Okay. Period. Period. Have, yeah. Have you have you been in a position where, and I guess you probably would have, where you like absolutely totally disagree with whatever um, you're sort of told to do with a particular shot, and then like, wh how do you handle that? Um, I do it. I, I'm paid. Uh, this is an interesting point of view. And, and I think it's important for people, especially if you want to do what I would, I do, which I highly recommend it. I think it's an amazing career. I am in service of my client. This is not my artistic expression. So yes. if they want their, you know, if they need their chin lifted, if they want their boobs bigger, if they want more hair, as you wish, I'm here to please. Yeah. My personal art is where I satisfy that stuff for myself. But I, I'm under no illusions. My my finishing career is in service of a client and a product, not my opinion. Yeah. And that's exactly how I see headshot photography, for example, especially, you know, things like, you know, headshots, uh, corporate headshots in particular, you know, where the client will have certain, you know, certain comments. And, uh, and it's, I feel the same thing, you know, I'll, I get paid. If they want me to make one eye bigger than the other, fine. Absolutely. Yeah, no problem. 
Yeah. You know, I'll tell you a story. I, I think I mentioned I was an editorial shooter when I started. I love shooting portraits, my favorite thing to do. However, I will tell you my particular mm, thing is to shoot people how they feel. Right. How they feel, not how they necessarily want to be presented. And I found that's why I got out of it, because that's a huge conflict. I would have, especially in, can you imagine in Hollywood, I would be shooting actors' headshots and stuff, and I'd get this really weak kind of oh, person, really interesting, don't get me wrong, but just weak and mm, and twisted. And then they need to look powerful and strong. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, I mean, I could do it, but it was just hard, really hard. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it goes, I've, you know, I sometimes have these, um, I sometimes have clients who are obviously, you know, not particular, not particularly, um, so we're comfortable with the way that they perceive themselves, you know? Yes. And yeah. so, and this, this is really what it boils down to is, is perception, you know, because I might look yeah. at, at a particular, you know, um, client and I think like, like I had this not too long ago, actually, I had a, a client, a female client, um, she looked amazing. It really looked absolutely stunning. Yeah. Um, incredible photograph really well. Um, and, but one of her eyes was ever so slightly smaller than the other. To the point where, I mean, you'd have to look at it very hard to even yeah. notice that. But of course, for her, it was a thing, you know. It's it like was, this giant thing, yeah. Yeah, it was it was a huge thing. And so, um, you know, and of course, it's, it was just a matter of, you know, okay, well, you know, we'll try it. We tried camera placement, but then, you know, in the end, it was just Photoshop all the way, you know. And it's it's ultimately, yeah. it made her super happy. She was absolutely chuffed with, uh, yeah. with the end results. Yeah. And that's really all that matters. To me, yeah, the end. it's important to kind of know what 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 your job is. Exactly. Like, yeah. Right. Let me just say a quick thank you to our sponsor, DVE Store. DVE Store's mission is to help you create better video and provide you with the tools necessary to explore your creativity. If you have any digital video equipment needs, whether that's camera equipment, audio gear, or lighting, and much more, you can check them out at dvestore.com. Thank you to DVE Store for the high def video, and of course, you can find a link to DVE Store in the description. All right, so I'm gonna tell you a story about a photo shoot I did a hundred years ago, like 30 years ago. There was a band, I think it's Ministry, Pill, something like that, kind of a heavy metal band. And this guy came to the studio and his name is Chris Conley, I believe. Sweetest man, Irish guy with that beautiful brogue, long dreadlocks, just adorable. So I shot these really soft, romantic pictures of him. I shot it with a eight by 10 Polaroid so it looked like an old tintype, warm, romantic sepia. And the magazine got it. And they were like, what the hell is this? Fully rejected. Wouldn't pay for it. When they were like, forget this. Well, it turns out during the shoot, he had a cassette, the cell that was, he had a cassette in his pocket. And I was like, oh, can I listen to your music? He's like, no, 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 this is top shit. You can't listen to this. Because I didn't know the band. And I, I want, and I'm like, oh, all right. Turns out he was doing like a crooning album. Oh, wow. And then his album company called me and said, can we use these photos? Those photos were perfect for what it was. Perfect. Because I felt yeah. him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, the fucker cut his dreadlocks off like the next week and they couldn't use it. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no. But it's funny. Just one of those things. I like to shoot people how they feel. And it's not necessarily what they're presenting all the yeah. time. Oh, absolutely. And it's sort of, um, you know, it's a, it's an important distinction to make, you know, between between so one's creative endeavors, you know, yes. and and then the commercial side of it, which is basically, you know, as you say, uh, as a photographer or as a commercial photographer, you know, 
providing a service to a client who's paying for that service. Yes. And so ultimately, whatever they want is, you know, I need to fulfill that brief yeah. to the best of, of my ability yeah. sort of thing. And yeah. sometimes... And I'll tell you, even, even amazing big shooters, it's the same thing with entertainment. When they shoot, you know, when Michael Muller shoots the stuff for X-Men, those aren't like his dramatic, amazing photography he does outside in his editorial shoots. No, because what the it's gray seamless for someone else to composite. This goes back, let me see, um, probably six, seven years maybe. Yeah, my, my youngest daughter is 11 now, so she was probably about maybe three, something like that. Um, I remember we were at a train station and there was a movie poster at the train station for some superhero movie or another. And there was an ensemble cast. So there was all the, you know, all the superheroes in yeah. the same, um, in the same poster. And, and I noticed that the catch lights in the eyes were different, you know, and so it was immediately clear that they had been shot in different locations at different times. And so yeah. because we had to wait for about 40 minutes or something at this train station, I taught my daughter how to read catch lights and how they, you know, correspond to different modifiers and all the rest of it. And it's funny, ever since then, that's the first thing she looks at. You know, whenever she right. sees anything where like, you know, two people in the shot have different catch-ups, she always points out to me. She goes like, hey, they're running to the studio at the same time. And you're like, right? <laughs> I have to tell you, that's one of the things, funny, so funny you should mention this. I don't think I've ever said this ever out loud. When I'm doing posters and I'm doing ensemble casts, I switch out the catch light. So they're all the same. No one knows I do it. Even my clients don't know I do it. But I think it's because I come from a photo background. I'm like, oh my God, those catch lights. I mean, other stuff won't match, but you know. <laughs> yeah, but catch lights, I mean, you know, as a but as a portrait photographer, you know, catch lights are so evident. You know, it's like it's the right? part, it's pretty much the first thing I look at. Right? You know, it's like, what are the catch lights? There's like? a very ubiquitous lighting setup I get for a lot of uh, commercial stuff I do, and it's these three lights setups. Oh, and yes. you get three lights in the eye. It drives me crazy. I take them out. No one's asking me to take them out, and I'm like, oh God, get those out of the eyeballs. Yeah, it's um this so the Peter Hurley style of um of lighting um creates these this triangular three spot light in there. And oh, it's, that, it's that's it. I take that out. Yeah, it's a it's an acquired taste, I think. Yes, yeah. it's probably the way the to people put it. look good. I, I just yes. don't Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's it that's true. The lighting itself works, you know, it's as a as a yeah. concept basically. And the catch lights are different and they are sort of very much unique to this particular lighting style. Yeah. And and of course in a sense that has a sort of uniqueness to it. But it's it's mm -hmm. the thing that's always um sort of irked me about this is is that it's completely unnatural. You yes. know, it's like it literally yeah. looks like somebody's looking into some weird, you know, neon neon tunnel or something. It's supposed yeah, to yeah. like even like, like a nice window or something. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, exactly. It drives me nuts. It's one of those tiny little things that absolutely drives me bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a difficult thing. There's um there's a number of there's a bunch of uh, different lighting styles um, that are that has sort of an impact on on the catch. I said one is like you you could do this thing where you have like a massive um, six or seven foot softbox behind you and you shoot you know yeah. um, you, you shoot the subject head on and then you get yourself as a you know as a silhouette yeah a silhouette yeah yeah so that's an interesting one um, yeah again it's also sort of an acquired taste because again it's yes you know but I mean it's just you know stylistic differences I guess yeah that's all it is. If somebody was interested into getting into that industry, into this, you know, movie poster, um, retouching industry, what, what would you advise them to do? So um, it's it's a great industry. It's all over the world now. 
I mean, I have people who we we're friends on Instagram and whatnot, and I see their work and they're in India, they're in Greece, they're in Sweden, and they're doing movie posters for their own countries. And yeah. so there's often a lot, you know, I don't know where your audience is, but there is a lot of opportunity all over the place. And the key is to just start. I think people wait for permission. And so all you have to do is be able to demonstrate what they need. So you need to know what, what do they need? So if you want to work for you know, Paramount Studios, well, can you, do you know what Paramount Studios work looks like? There's a great website, um, impawards.com. It's got every movie poster, I think, since 1910 or 1920 on it, all current posters. And when you go through the posters, it'll show you who designed it. And oh, then wow. you can click on that. It takes you to those links and you can be like, hey, Joe, design company in New York or in Tallahassee or, or in London. I like what you guys do. Can I work for you? You can look them up. Yeah. Um, you just need to know the visual vocabulary. And what I mean by that is you need to know what's the product. What do they need? Is it a comedy? Is it a horror film? What do horror films look like? Oh, why are there three big heads in the sky, but the names on the left, but the heads in the middle? That's a billing issue. That is a um, contractual issue because first read is from left to right verbally, but first read on a three heads in the sky is the first head. Uh, right. middle head, pardon me. So there, there's a lot to it, but um, you just got to start and you got to start compositing and you don't need permission to make the next Spider-Man poster or the next, um, you know, the next rock project. Like, do your own, get images off of Getty or whatever and make your own posters, like start. But that's, you mentioned, um, you mentioned visual vocabulary and I think that's, that's super interesting actually, because yeah, um, because I think that's that's really super important to understand, um, uh, you know, how that works. A good example would be, I mean, you mentioned comedy, for example. So that's, I'm thinking of that stereotypical white background, you know, or like, you know, solid yeah. white or... Yeah, um, or color, solid color. Yeah. Yeah, because that, that wouldn't necessarily work Yeah, there's a visual language. Film. Yeah. If it's horror file, sci-fi. I, I did a whole class actually on entertainment posters and what they meant and uh, illustration, like 1980s illustration or... There's different solves, like there's container solves where people are put in containers or boxes. There's the ubiquitous, you know, one or two or three heads in the sky with the little scene. There's water solves, like there's fire solves. Um, yeah, there's all graphic, there's graphic solves where it's it's more of a, like it looks like a printed poster kind of thing or very illustrator looking. Yeah, there's a whole vocabulary out there of different styles and and they're very specific to genres. So if you look at the X-Men series or the Avengers series that has a visual vocabulary. They use the Black Panther series. There's a, if you look at all the posters, they have a particular style, color, tone, and that's their vocabulary. Oh, Star Wars is a good example as far as, yeah. as, far as the ensemble is concerned. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's a whole world out there. You just have to know that you, you want to start look, reading it like a book. If you, if you know what I mean, like yeah. looking at, um, the, who's the, the, the clown that ate children or killed children. Oh, is it? It. it? I think. Yeah. yeah it, Those, that it. has a visual vocabulary. It's got a particular color, a patina horror films have a particular style. Um, and you just want to know that, know what moves you and, and what works for you. And is that something that that changes throughout history? So if we look back at the last, say, 50 years of cinema, for example. Yeah, but slowly. Like if you look at Westerns now, 
they're the same color palette as Westerns in the 1950s. The style of the illustration is different, but the colors aren't different. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, actually. they're very, that very, true, very yeah. similar. Uh, if you look at Sylvester Stallone, for example, and if you look at the Rambo and Rocky series, then you look at Expendables, which was a later film he did. The color palette's kind of similar how they how things yeah. were treated. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's it's super interesting. I mean, it's you know, it's you can see. I mean, from a color palette point of view, I mean, you could take Star Wars as an example. And you've got you know, you could the blues and the reds signifying. Oh God, yeah, absolutely, you know, absolutely. Um, the Drew Struzan style of illustration. I'll tell you also the the weird thing that happens when you want to get hired at an agency. Agencies want to see uh, that you can draw, that you have concepting and you have ideas more so than super polished comps. Right. Okay. I mean, they do want to know that you know your tool, but they really want to know how you think. And oddly enough, business-wise, if we say the truth, they want exciting, new, crazy-ass designs, but you also have to do the formulaic designs because that's what's going to get picked. Yeah. Is that, I mean, so they want you to be a crazy artist, but can you do boring? Do you or, have, tra- um, or I shouldn't say boring. I'm sorry. Traditional or traditional, expected. yeah. Or formulaic is actually really good. That's yeah, a really that's good term. A good way. Yes. Yeah. Because yes. it's. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of sort of um, you know recognizability in yeah in movie posters, like especially yeah. if you just think of like you know the way the the cast are depicted on it, for example. You know, you, there's, yeah. there's so many so many stereotypes in inverted commas. Yeah. Well, if you look at Apple now, Apple uh, Apple Films and Apple TV and Apple Streaming, there's a certain patina and crispness to all their work. You could see it. It looks different. It looks, I mean, it looks consistent within the brand of Apple. Is that, has, has there been, have you sort of um, notified, uh, noticed a, a change in that, uh, in that, you know, in that, in that move from the printed poster to the way that we're viewing things predominantly on screens and screening? In, in streaming? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So the change for me is there's way more volume because right. where it used to be, we gave one vertical board and one horizontal board and they produced everything they needed. Now we have to accommodate 40 different boards and letterboxes. So imagine you're looking on your phone, you're going to see one. If you're looking on an iPad or a Surface Pro, you're going to see a different one. If you're on one of those TVs, if you're on a, what do they call them? Um, Roku, or if you're through Amazon Prime, everything is different. So there's more deliverables, which means you have to design it such a way that it can be reformatted really easily. Um, So there's that kind of change. It's not the, the style hasn't changed. The output has changed. So I'm just thinking, like, if I'm looking at something, um, for instance, on a relatively small thumbnail, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I'm guessing if it did like a, a, a huge ensemble cast with a lot of fine detail in it, it would kind of get lost in it. 100%. 100%. So that's why you'll see different, the the studios will pick different ones for different sizes. They'll often have a different, if it's going to be a small thumbnail, they'll pick a different image than the full key art. And I'll tell you another crazy thing. If you have rim light on something on a full key art and it gets pushed down to a thumbnail like this big, it'll look like bad masking. Yeah. It will no longer look like a, a rim light. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it's interesting. So, it makes perfect sense, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So when y'all are on Netflix or Hulu or Paramount Plus or uh, whatever you stream on Discovery or Apple, notice the big art will be one piece of art and then the letterbox will often be a whole different piece of art for that very reason. So how long does it does it take you on average, let's say, to create all of those deliverables um, on one job? Um, normal. I'm trying to think of normal delivery. If, if you're lucky, you get one week. 
it's crazy. It's it's crazy. It's because all the time is being eaten up in the design phase. Right. There's plenty of time, but not by the time it gets to me. By the time I get it, man, they ate up all that time. <laughs> yeah. Have you? Um, what, what's your favorite? I mean, I guess that's probably a question you, you get a lot. But what, what's your favorite um, movie poster you've ever designed? Do you know what's funny? Right now, how I would answer that is the first really creative one I got to do, which is so long ago. It's called The Secret Garden. It's like um, the lady who was in uh, the medium. Oh, God, Arquette, something Arquette. I'm so bad with names. And That's a the guy who was in Roger it? Rabbit. See, I'm so terrible. I don't know anybody's names. Uh, anyway, the movie was called The Secret Garden, and it was the first time I did a fish all by myself, start to finish. It had like a Polaroid Type 55 edge. It's a nothing burger poster. If you look at it now, you go, eh, what? But it, it was my first one that was mine. It had my signet. Like, I did it. I got to show my mama. Look what I made. Um, yeah. Uh, other, th other than that, yeah, it's, I don't have any current. It's, I love my job. I just love what I do, so it doesn't matter. Do you sometimes, are you sometimes like in a situation where you're like, you you're creating like a number of different options and then the studio picks the one that you like the least? Oh, all the time. Are you kidding? Almost <laughs> yeah. always. Almost always. I'm not kidding. Like, yeah. And it's one of the reasons I don't design anymore, aside from the money, is you'll see some amazing stuff. You'll make some really cool stuff. And they put the formulaic one and you're like, no, please. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, but at least at least you have the satisfaction of actually having the other versions still. Yeah, and I got to tell you, honey, I don't work in the cubicle. You know, I'm not pushing paper for a living. I get to make art yeah. for a living, and how amazing is that? Absolutely, yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. Um, you know, that being said, you're also speaking at the uh, the iPhone photo conference I at am. the end of March. Yes, please join. If you're got all interested in kind of figuring out. The, the possibilities of this thing, right? Do you notice how I have it in this huge B script versus just having it as a phone? I do that because um, folks don't think it's legitimate if it's just an iPhone because they're, you know, their son Charlie has one. So how could you be a professional photographer if you're using this, this device? So that's one of the reasons I use this. Um, and yeah, at the iPhone conference that the Kelby One's putting on, the cool thing is you get so much variety about what people do. Like we all do it completely different and something will speak to you. It may not be me. It might be the guy next to me or ahead of me who, who the way they work, it sparks something, but it's pretty fun. Yeah. I had a look at the program and it is, it's really, it's amazing. This, you know, iPhone photography, but it's also a lot of uh, talks about video, for example, which is super interesting yes, as well Yeah. at yeah. the same time. So it's, uh, and of course, cool. yeah. And of course our mutual friend, Dave Williams is going to be I'm speaking as well, so of course uh, he is. Is yeah. he doing the uh, night photography? Um, yes. So I think for the aurora oh, borealis. Yes. So he does a thing on um, your your basic settings, um, how to set up your iPhone for photography, and I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure he does some. He's gonna he's gonna be doing some Northern Lights thing as well, as he always yeah. does. Yeah. Oh, so spectacular. Nobody better than that. Lisa, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. It's uh, amazing and I, I mean I have to tell you you know I wasn't lying when I said uh, I've learned everything I know about skin retouching from your creative life classes yay that makes <laughs> me happy well if you have any questions you can email me anytime oh absolutely um, yeah it's been an absolute pleasure and nice to meet you 
Yeah, nice to meet you too. And you're are you still in the snow right now? Is that is it still snowy? I am. It's snowing. Uh, my my wall is covered in snow. We're expecting 22 inches oh, today. Wow. wow. I'm from LA originally. This is this snow bunny business is a. Uh... Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, I'm sure my muscles must be really big from all that shoveling I'm doing now. It's it's amazing because you're um you said you're not far from Lake Tahoe, I think. Yeah, I'm in. Poor man's Lake Tahoe, as I call it. I'm going to call a town, an old gold rush town called Trekkie. So I'm about half an hour from Lake Tahoe. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I know the area a little bit. Um, I went, a uh, part of my honeymoon is Bennett, Lake Tahoe. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it's really beautiful up here. It really it's is. stunning. Stunning. Yeah. Um, incredible. Yeah, it's my, my, yeah. Wife and I, my wife and I went to, um, we went to Canada and then I oh, saw some relatives there. And then we drove from Seattle all the way to San Francisco. But we hit as many states as we could on the on the ways so we ended up did you go to crater lake on your way down yes i think we did actually yeah, yeah i think we did spectacular absolutely yeah. spectacular. so because we we hit um we went all the way through oregon well went all the way through washington state and then all the way through oregon into idaho uh we stopped over at boise um and then went from there, I can remember we went to Lake Tahoe, I think, and then to Yosemite, I think, and then on to San Fantastic, Francisco. Fantastic, yeah. yeah. I mean, so that was I have to say that the western part of the United States is is pretty spectacular. It really is. For landscape, I mean, it's stuff you don't see uh, anywhere. It's it's incredible. You know, I remember like the first the first 24 hours of that of that little road trip, I remember, you know, uh, starting off in Calgary, um, you know, flying over the Rockies, like over snow-capped yeah. mountains and everything. Yeah. Ending up in Seattle, then driving through uh, Washington State and through, you know, Sasquatch country, um, right, right, forest and stuff, which is amazing, and then you know, ending up yeah. like going through the prairies of Oregon, and then ending up um, in the, what's effectively a desert plain, you know, in, yeah. in, in, in Idaho, was just like, well, we've just covered everything in 24 hours, right? It's crazy. <laughs> no, I'll tell you, Hawaii, the big islands like that. You drive the whole island, you get all of that in one island. Lisa, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been absolutely fantastic, um, and uh, and hopefully, you know, we'll we'll speak again in the in the not too distant future. It's been great fun. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for watching this video. If you enjoyed it, please hit that like button and subscribe to our channel for more great content. But before you go, let me share a quick insight from Behavior Science. When you engage with content you enjoy, you not only make the creator's day, but you also trigger positive emotion in yourself. It's a small action that can make a big difference in how you feel. So by liking, commenting, or sharing this video, you're not only supporting us, but you're also benefiting yourself. It's a win-win situation. If you enjoyed this episode, let me recommend another episode that I think you'll love. Check out episode 120 with Dave Clayton, another Photoshop guru with fantastic insights into the craft. And if you have any suggestions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Your comments are incredibly valuable to us and help us improve our content. So please don't hesitate to share your thoughts. Once again, Thank you for listening and watching. We'll be back next Thursday.